We're going to continue to worship the Lord this morning with our gifts and our tithes and our offerings. And uh, every week we talk about something different that's going on. And uh, this morning I'm going to talk about something that's going on inside of our own city. I don't know if you've seen all of those blue signs for Refuge Church all over the place for the last 10 years, it seems like. But this morning, they're actually having their services going on right now. It started at 10 o'clock. I was able to connect with their pastor this week. And I don't know anything about the church, but I know this. Our city needs more great churches that are going to teach the people the love of God and His transforming power in their life. They're a part of our family because we're not building the radiant kingdom. We've been adopted into the family of Jesus Christ. And we want to see His family continue to advance all over our city. We need more great churches all over our nation, all over the world. So we are the biggest fans of Refuge Church and every other church inside of our city. And we're going to pray for them this morning. Father, Thank you so much for Refuge Church, God. Thank you that you moved on the hearts of that team to come here and to plant another church. And Jesus, this morning, we pray that as they're having their first service, God, that you would begin something new, God, that they they would see the fruit of all of the labor that they've put into this and that it would stir up faith for the things that you're going to do over the course of this year and over the next year and the next 10 years, Jesus. We pray that you would use Refuge Church mightily inside of our city, that you would fill them with wisdom, God, that you would stretch out your hand and perform miracles miraculous times to confirm the message that they're preaching, that Refuge Church truly would be a refuge for all those who are lost, who are hurting, and who are broken, that can come in and find the new life that you made available for us on the cross. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, as that's going around, if you have your Bibles with you, go ahead and turn those to Luke chapter 2. We took a little bit of a break from our series, Luke Investigating Jesus. I had to look and make sure I still knew the name of it. Um, But we're going to go back to that. And what's going to happen is this is going to take us a really long time to get through the book of Luke. So we'll be doing it for a while, and then we'll take a little break to do some other things and then keep coming back to it. Because if we're going to spend a really long time doing one thing in our church, It should be investigating who Jesus is, what his life, his teachings are, and now how we live our lives in light of who Jesus is. So we're looking at the book of Luke, and the last time we were doing this, we were actually in Luke chapter 2, and we were talking about the story of Mary losing Jesus, and we're actually coming back to that story because I prepared too much content, and so we're going to look at this from another angle today. So my question for you today is, have you ever been mad at someone at any point in your life? Anybody, yeah. I think we've all been there, right? And have you ever tried to make that known to someone? Like, hey, I'm mad at you. My kids do this. So my, my son, he'll always come up to me. He'll say, Daddy, I'm mad at you. And he's five, so I'll say, all right, why are you mad at me? You hurt my feelings. Okay, okay that's very possible. What did I do? You wouldn't let me use a knife. Well, no. <laughs> Your feelings should not be hurt by that because I'm looking out for you. He's like, well, you hurt my feelings, Daddy. You need to say you're sorry. I'm sorry that I won't let you destroy your life by using a knife at the age of five. But he's telling me this because he wants me to apologize to him. He wants me to fix the problem. Now, as we get older, we don't usually come up and say to someone, I'm mad at you. We'll tell everybody else that we're mad at someone. But we'll try to do things to give them some sort of a cue that we're mad at them. Like, Oh, is everything okay? Oh, no, I'm fine, I'm fine. It's, it's okay. Well, what's going on? Well, I'm mad at you, if you must know. I mean, that's, we do that, right? But have you guys ever been mad at someone when you shouldn't have been mad at them? We're in church. <laughs> you can't lie on this one. Jesus knows. I love this. And there's, I was going to share a story, but it's too 
new still, so I'll share it maybe next year, <laughs> about me being unjustly mad at my wife. But So here's a story from someone else's life. <laughs> there was a couple, and it was their 60th wedding anniversary. They married 60 years, so they had all their friends and their family over to celebrate 60 years of marital matrimony and bliss and all that comes along with that. And after everybody leaves, they're sitting there on their porch swing, they're holding hands, and the wife turns to her husband and says, after all these years, I've never stopped loving you. She's just looking at him adoringly, and the husband drops her hand just stares straight ahead, and she's thinking, what's, what's going on here? What's happened? She says, well, is there anything you want to say? And so he turns to her and looks flustered and says, well, after all these years, I've stopped loving you too. And she's like, what are you talking? No, no, I've never stopped loving you. And so he's mad at her because he's lost his hearing and he doesn't understand what it is that she's saying. <laughs> but have you ever had that happen where you were mad at someone and you were sure that you had a just cause for your righteous fury to come down on them? and then you figured out you were the problem? Or that they never said or never did what it was that you thought they said or did, or that their intention wasn't what you thought their intention was, and you feel like a fool and try to hide it and play it off like, oh no, it was no big deal, I never really was mad anyways. Well, have you ever been mad at Jesus? One honest person was shaking their head. <laughs> but that's a real question. Have you ever been mad at Jesus? I've been mad at Jesus. My guess is that every person here has been mad at Jesus, or you were just born and have no idea who Jesus is or what anger is. And what I've discovered in my 36 years of life, I think I'm 36, yeah, 36 years of life, is that every time I'm mad at Jesus, it turns out that I'm wrong. It never feels like that at the time, but every time I've been mad at Jesus, it's never done any good in my life whatsoever, and I've always been the one who was wrong. And the comfort, as we go through this, is that you're not alone in that. Every person that has a relationship with Jesus has come to a point where there's been something that happened that caused them to have some anger or some resentment towards God. And this even happened in the life of Mary. Mary, the one who's highly favored among all women, she's highly blessed. There's been nobody else like Mary in the history of humanity. But even Mary got mad at Jesus. And this is a story that we read about in Luke chapter 2, verses 41 through 44. It says, Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. When Jesus was 12 years old, they attended the festival as usual. After the celebration was over, they started home to Nazareth, but Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents didn't miss him at first because they assumed he was among the other travelers. But when he didn't show up that evening, they started looking for him among their relatives and friends. And when they couldn't find him, they went back to Jerusalem to search for him there. Now put yourself in their place. They're looking for Jesus. They assume he's with the friends. They assume that he's with the family and the group that's going back home from Jerusalem. They get to the end of the day. They're looking around for him. He's not there. All right, Jesus, he's here somewhere. Let's go check with his friends. Let's check with some of our cousins and find him. They're going around, and they can't find him. And if you've lost your kid, you know what it is. In that moment that comes into you is you realize that your child has either, this is for me at least, I never think, oh, they're just studying or they're you know, playing nicely together. Maybe they're doing homework. That never crosses my mind. Every time one of my kids is missing or quiet for even three seconds, I think they've been taken or the rogue ipsy turkey has mauled them. Those are the only two things 
that crossed my mind, and never anything good. So Mary and Joseph, as they're looking around for Jesus, when they realize that they don't have him, their mind's going to all of these places. He's not here. What happened? Where is he? He's been taken. And this isn't just like losing anybody. They lost the Son of God. And they had one job, was just keep him alive so that he can save the world from the sins of all humanity, and they lost him. It's like, you guys blew it. And they're probably thinking, oh gosh, I hope nobody writes a book about this. <laughs> and sure enough, for all of history, now it's been recorded that they lost Jesus. Now they're freaking out. They can't find him anywhere. They've traveled an entire day. They leave early in the morning. Now it's nighttime. They don't know where their kid is. So they start going back, and they're thinking, Did, was he hurt along the path somewhere? Have wolves gotten him or robbers? Did we just leave him there? Like, what has happened to Jesus? And so they're freaking out. They're going back to Jerusalem in the dead of the night, and they can't find him anywhere. They're frantically looking around, imagining the worst-case scenario of what could have happened to their son, who happens to be the son of God that they're responsible for. So they get back there. Remember, this is a state of mind they're in. Our son is gone. He's God. We are in big trouble, and our hearts are broken. We're never going to see him again. It says, three days later, three days. They've been searching for Jesus for three days. They finally discovered him in the temple, sitting among the religious teachers, listening to them and asking questions. All who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. His parents didn't know what to think. Son, his mother said to him, what have you done this? why have you done this to us? Your father and I have been frantic, searching for you everywhere. I think it's a lot louder than I thought it was. <laughs> That's the joy of having a new building is stuff just happens and you try to figure it out. So there's three days they're looking around and they finally go to the temple. Now why are they going to the temple? We don't know why it takes them three days to go to the temple, but if you've lost your child, if you've lost the Son of God and you've been looking for him for three days and you haven't found him, there might be a couple of reasons why you're going to the temple. Number one, you're going there to pray. Like, God, help me find Jesus because we have no idea where he is and something terrible has happened. Or, Maybe they know that they've sinned greatly by losing the Son of God, and they've got to go make some sacrifices. I imagine I'm going up to the priest. So, okay, if I lie, I've got to kill a turtle dove. So, like, what's the sacrifice I have to do for losing the Son of God? Like, how many bulls are we talking here? And as they get to the temple, we don't know why, but they go to the temple finally, and they find Jesus. He's there. And he's okay. In fact, he's better than Okay. He's not lost. He's not crying. We're like, where's my mom and dad? I miss them. He's not doing any of that. He's sitting there and he's being adored by the high rollers of society. He's perfectly fine. Nothing's wrong with him. He's just sitting there being, you know, fawned over like the bell of the ball by all of the Pharisees and the scribes and everyone else. And at that moment, when they see him, after they've been going through just the frantic terror for three days of looking for their son, and they find out that he's perfectly okay, nothing's wrong with him, he's just been hanging out with some other people and being adored by them, his parents are mad. They're really mad at him. And we get mad at Jesus because, number one, we compare. And this is what's happening. If Jesus had been hurt, if he'd been imprisoned, uh, if he'd been doing nothing at all, they probably wouldn't have been mad at him. 
But because he's sitting there and he's just blessing other people with all of his wisdom and his presence and he's perfectly okay, it just seems like he's completely abandoned his parents to go do this, they're mad at him. I would be really mad at my kids if they did that to me. The terror, the heartache that I'm going through for three days trying to figure out where they're at and they're just hanging out, teaching other people and and having everybody think they're the greatest thing on the face of the earth. That doesn't stir up a lot of sympathy inside of you. And the same thing happens to us. One of the biggest reasons that we get mad at Jesus is because we compare what it is that Jesus is doing in our lives to what it is that he's doing in someone else's life. Uh, If you're a business person, any business people in here today, owners of a business, yeah, so you know what it's like, the struggle of owning a business. There are times where maybe it's just flying and you're like, yes, this is awesome, we're going to be the biggest company on the face of the earth. And then there's times where you think, I don't know if we're going to make it. Or maybe you've had several businesses and you've gone through the loss of a business or bankruptcies, failures, whatever it might be. But if you're sitting there and you're a Christian and your business is really struggling or maybe it's even failing, if if you're sitting there like, okay, God, I believe that you're in this. I believe that you're going to walk me through this. You're still good. I love you, God. You're awesome. Everything's great. But then you look at someone else and you see that Jesus is making their business just blow up and they are dominating their market. You think like, God, what the heck is going on here? Why is it that I'm struggling so hard, but yet you're blessing this other person so much? You start thinking, God, like, I'm mad at you about that. If you're a business person, one of the greatest stories and maybe one of the worst stories I can think of is Matthew McPherson. Have you ever heard of his name? He's a musician that was really struggling, and so he prayed, God, give me a business idea so that I can support the, he was doing praise and worship stuff. He's like, God, give me a business idea so I can make money so that I can then have that support, the ministry that you've called me to. So God gives him a vision one night of a new type of a bow for archery. He wakes up and he sees a vision, a blueprint of this bow, and he just wakes up, takes out his notepad, and he just starts drawing down what it is that he sees invents the Matthews bow, which for any of you that are an archer, you know that has revolutionized the field. And he made a bazillion dollars by doing that. And then as if that isn't enough, God gives him another dream. One night he wakes up and he sees an acoustic guitar and it's a new design for it. And so he just copies down the design that he sees from this blueprint of an acoustic guitar, makes the McPherson guitar, which if you're a guitar player, you see these out there, they're super expensive, they're incredible instruments, and he's making tons and tons of money. Now, that might be really inspiring to you and think, look at that, God can just drop this incredible business idea into my mind. Or if you're struggling with a business right now, you think, God, what on earth is going on? I am struggling here, and you gave that guy not just one incredible idea, but you gave him two angelic visitations with blueprints already drawn up from him. What is going on? Just give me one. I don't even need a great idea. Just give me an okay idea. But you can begin to compare what you're going through within what someone else is going through with God. You think that God's blessing them so much more than you, so you start to get mad at God. Or maybe it's inside of your marriage. This is a tough one. In our church, we've seen incredible reconciliations of marriages. It looked like they were heading for divorce. There was no hope for them. And God has come, and he's entered into the situation and miraculously restored the marriage. They're going on today stronger than they've ever been, more passionately in love with each other, serving Jesus. It's incredible. And then there are other people whose marriages are still struggling. And there's marriages that have ended. 
And it's really easy for you to say, okay, God, my marriage might be failing, but you're still with me. You're still good. And my faith and my trust are still in you. And then you look over and you see the couple that was doing horribly and they're all PDA all over each other. <laughs> and you're like, God, what on earth? Why is it that my, my marriage is struggling so much and you're blessing them? Why won't you do inside of my life what it is that I see you doing inside of someone else? You begin to compare what God's done in someone else to what it is that's happening in your life, and it makes you mad at God. And it might be the same with a health issue. Why is it that some people are miraculously healed and other people remain sick or even die? I don't know. But if you're going through a sickness, you know, okay, God, I can get through this. You're with me. You're good. How come you healed that person, Jesus, and I'm still struggling with this? The comparison always comes in, and that comparison will lead us to a place of where we're mad at God because we see him doing something miraculous in the life of someone else, and we don't see him doing it inside of ourselves. That's a temptation we all face. As a church planter, I, I have had that happen. When you plant and you start with 50 people and you're like, yeah, God, this is awesome. And then your friend starts with 500. You're like, what, God? Are they, that, are they 10 times better of a person than I am? Or then a year later when you're still at 50 people and they're 1,000 and you're like, Jesus, over here, you could send like two of those people this way. That'd be 4% growth, which would be incredible. Now, I was so happy with our 50 people until you look around and you see someone with a 1,000 because you're comparing what it is that God's doing in someone else's life to what it is that he's doing in your life, and that can stir up anger towards God. Instead of being happy and rejoicing and celebrating for what God's done in their life and what it is that God is still doing in your life, comparison stirs up anger. And this is how we combat that. If you're, if you're struggling with comparison right now and it's causing anger in your, in your relationship with God, you need to stop focusing on what it is that God's doing in other people and you need to get really grateful for what it is that he has done inside of your life. Because even if your business is failing, this is what I can tell you. Jesus is your provider. It was never you. It was never your business. It was never your clients. Jesus is the one who is your provider. And that business may fail, and the next 10 businesses may fail, and that doesn't matter because Jesus never fails you, and he will always be the one who provides you with everything that you need and lead you into the fullness of his plans and his purposes and his prosperity for your life as long as you don't allow anger to come in and drive a wedge and keep you separated from the God who's able to do those things inside of you. In your marriage, if your marriage is struggling and failing and you're mad at God about that because you see what he's done in someone else's life, your marriage may fail. My prayer and my belief is always that God's going to work something miraculous in you, but if the other person decides that they just want nothing to do with you and they leave, that doesn't mean that God has failed you. It doesn't mean that God isn't going to heal you, that he isn't going to restore your heart. It doesn't mean that you've been disqualified from God's plans and purposes for your life. You just have to stop comparing. You have to be thankful and grateful for what it is that God has done in your life and what it is that he's going to lead you into. Here's what I do. I'm a list person, so when I start comparing myself to other people and be like, God, what is going on here? I start writing out the list of all of the blessings God's poured out in my life. God, thank you that I'm alive. That's a great place to start. I didn't make me alive. I can't really even keep myself alive, it turns out. But Jesus created me. And he created me to, 
to know him. He died on the cross for my sins. When I look at my life, I'm so grateful for my wife. I'm so grateful for my children, my parents, my friends. I'm, I just start making lists. And maybe for you, it's like, God, I'm grateful that I had a cup of coffee this morning. And that's all you have that you can be thankful about. But you just start focusing on what it is that God's done in your life. And it changes your perspective. And instead of being mad at God about how he's blessing someone else, you're just so grateful for everything that God's doing inside of you. And it'll even turn your heart so that you can rejoice and celebrate with the blessings that God's doing in someone else's life, even when you don't see it. The temptation is to be like kids. Have you ever given one kid something, and then the other one, instead of rejoicing with their brother or sister at the scoop of ice cream they got, like, where's mine? You guys are unfair. You're unjust. Whatever. Don't be like that. Be so grateful for everything God's doing in your life. Refuse to compare don't let comparison stir up anger inside of your heart. And then it goes on, it says, Son, his mother said to him, Why have you done this to us? Your father and I have been frantic, searching for you everywhere. And so the second thing is that we feel betrayed. The words that Mary is using here actually mean, Why have you caused us such great pain? When she says, Son, she's reminding him that you have a family tie, that you have a family obligation. Son, your father and I have been searching for you frantically. Why have you done this to us? We're your parents. Why would you do something like this to us? See, Mary and Joseph feel betrayed. Because instead of following their agenda, instead of following their plan, Jesus is going off and he's doing something different. He's following the Father's plan. And oftentimes what happens inside of us is we feel betrayed by God because we have a plan for our lives. We have a plan for the way that things are supposed to go and what's supposed to happen in us, and we expect that Jesus is going to follow our plan and that he's going to take all the cues from us from the way that our life is supposed to go. And when our life doesn't go that way, when Jesus doesn't do the things for us we think that he should do, we begin to feel betrayed by him. God, don't you know who I am? God, don't you know what it is that I've done? God, why would you allow this to happen to me? You've betrayed me. You were supposed to lead me into prosperity. You were supposed to be my good, good father. All of these things, we start to feel betrayed by God because we have an agenda for him that we want him to follow in our lives. But instead, he has his own agenda. He's always had his own agenda. Bringing us into his family and reconciling us and pouring out blessings on us is a part of his agenda. But it is his agenda. It's not ours. When we planted the church, it was really, really tough for us. We were excited because we had a plan for what God was going to do. We had this agenda, and you know, we're going to leave all our friends and family behind. We're going to put all of our money into this, and Jesus, you're going to do all these incredible things. Like, as soon as that happens, we get pregnant with our first child. Now, I know how that happened, so I'm not mad at God about that. <laughs> but it wasn't optimal timing. And then I get diagnosed with cancer. And I'm like, God, we have a child on the way. I'm supposed to be going to plant a church. Your plan is that you're going to you know, allow me to develop and equip leaders and train people and lead people to Jesus. We're going to have a church, all these things. God, why are you? This isn't a part of the plan. And so then after that, a couple months later, Anna's dad gets diagnosed with stage 4 colon cancer. I'm like, God, how am I supposed to be focusing on the church and what you've called me to do inside of this city, and yet all of these things are happening to me? And then her dad dies, and then I have some surgeries, and then I get sicker, and I have tumors in my pancreas, and I'm going through all this. I'm like, God, what on earth is happening? And I remember 
when Anna's, it was apparent that Anna's dad wasn't going to make it and that he was never going to go home. And we're laying in our bed, and we're just both crying. And I remember the feeling that I felt was like, I've been betrayed by you, God. I deserve better than this. I gave up everything. We've gone through so much. All we want to do is lead people to you. All we want to do is follow your plans and purposes for our life. We're just trying to, we're just trying to help you out, Jesus. And this is happening to us. And I felt betrayed because I look at everybody else. I'm like, who else is making the sacrifices that we're making? I see other people getting healed. I'm praying for people, and they're being healed of cancer and tumors because God just chooses to do something. It's not me. It's just Jesus that's doing it. But yet, for my own father-in-law, there are people who aren't even Christians that are getting healed. And my own father-in-law, who spent his entire life following Jesus and serving him, and me, who's made all these sacrifices, why isn't that we aren't seeing you heal him? Why is it that he's going to die and we have to go through all of the pain of this? Jesus, you could have done just this one thing for me. And I felt completely betrayed by him in that point. That's a natural human reaction. But the whole reason was because I had an agenda for Jesus. I had an expectation for him based on what I wanted to see him do. Jesus serves us. He went to the cross for us. He came and he served those who hated him, who despised him and rejected him. But in our relationship with him, now we're the servant. Because when we were the master, we did a really good job of messing our lives up. And we have to get to the point of where we abandon our agendas and we just say, God, whatever it might be that happens in my life, the things that you cause and the things that you allow to happen, I don't believe that God causes cancer and all these other terrible things, but he allows some of these things to happen. And we can either feel betrayed by that or we can step back and say, God, I might have had an agenda for you, and maybe you haven't been following it like I had hoped that you would, but I'm going to choose now to abandon my agenda, and I'm just going to follow after you. Because what Jesus was doing was he's, he's basically saying, listen, I'm here, I'm not betraying my family. I'm serving my Father in everything that I'm doing. And there's a plan for everything that I'm doing. And then it goes on, and it says, in Luke 29, 49 through 50, But why did you need to search, he asked. Didn't you know that I must be in my father's house? But they didn't understand what he meant. And the third reason why we get mad at Jesus is because, number three, we're confused. Jesus didn't explain to Mary and Joseph why it was that he'd done this. He just says, why were you searching for me? Didn't you know that I must be in my father's house doing my father's business? He doesn't lay it all out theologically for them. He doesn't explain why it was that he did this. He doesn't explain why they went through the hurt and why it was that they went through the pain of searching for them, why he didn't like, tell them first that this was going to happen. Jesus doesn't give an answer for that. He just says, I'm in my father's house and I'm doing my father's business. And oftentimes, when we come into situations and circumstances in our life that we don't understand, we, we can't see how it is that God's doing what God's supposed to do. Or we don't understand why it is that God's doing the things he's doing or why it is that he's allowing the things to happen that we see him allowing to happen. And Jesus doesn't promise us answers to these things. I wish that he did. But that's not what we get. Even in the book of Job, who goes through more stuff than any of us have ever gone through or ever will go through, 
God never gives him the answer for all of that. What God calls us to do is to just believe and to have faith that what he's doing will lead to our good. To believe that there is nothing that is going to destroy us. To believe that he's going to continue to be faithful to us. To believe that he's going to continue to lead us into his plans and his purposes for our lives. We get confused and it can cause us to be mad at God. But we have to do what it was that Mary did when we get to those places of where we're comparing ourselves or where we're um, feeling confused about what it is that God's doing. It says this, Then he returned to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them, and his mother treasured all these things in her heart. Does this seem like the most out-of-place verse in the entire Bible? Jesus has abandoned them. They're searching for him frantically for three days. They come to the temple. They feel betrayed by him. Uh, they're confused by what it is that he's doing, and he doesn't give them an answer, and it says that Mary decides that she's going to treasure all these things up in her heart. That's not my first reaction. But Mary, in the midst of her confusion about what's going on, not understanding why Jesus is doing what it is that he's doing, instead of getting mad at him, and, or she is mad, but instead of remaining mad at him, she decides to treasure these things up in her heart. Now, there's another place where we see Mary doing this. And it's when the wise men come and they give the gifts to Jesus. And she doesn't understand what it is that's going on. She's confused again. Why are you bringing these gifts to my baby? But it says that she treasures these things up in her heart. And that word treasure means to store for a later use. To store it so that you can pull it out at some point in the future. So what Mary is doing is she's saying, Jesus, I don't understand why this has happened. I don't have an answer for the hurt, for the pain that I went through. I don't have an answer for the seeming betrayal. I don't have an answer for the confusion, an answer for the comparison. But I'm going to choose to treasure these things inside of my heart. And we will either be mad or we will choose to treasure, just like Mary did. And one of the hardest things that Mary probably ever went through was when she watches her son go to the cross. She sees him beat. She sees him whipped. They put a crown of thorns on his head. They put a cross on his back. And the one who created all that is by speaking it into existence, the one who came to serve us and live amongst us, the one who lived a sinless life, the one who came to usher in the kingdom of God, set every captive free, put away every system of injustice, that one is nailed to a cross and a mother has to watch as her son dies. And I imagine in that moment, she might have been comparing, she might have been feeling betrayed, she was definitely confused as to what was happening. But three days later, it made a lot more sense. And there are things that you're going through in life right now that you don't understand. But in the future, if you choose to treasure these things in your heart instead of being mad at God about them, but choose to process through it, to choose to continue to follow after Jesus and continue to believe that he is good, to continue to believe that he's leading you into prosperity, to continue to believe that all things really do work for the good of those who believe in him, 
even when we can't see the way, there will come points in the future where you're going to see how God uses the hurt, he uses the heartache, the pain, the moments where you felt betrayed and confused and where you compared yourself to others, and you will see the good that he brings out of that if you choose to treasure it. I'm already seeing God do miracles because instead of being mad at God about the issues that I've had these last two years, I made a decision that I was going to choose to treasure whether I lived or whether I died, whatever pain I might experience, whether I was miraculously healed or not, I was going to choose to believe that God's good and that he is leading me into the fullness of his plans and his purposes for me. And when I was in the hospital, one of the first nurses I had, we, I was just being nice and saying please and thank you and talking with her, and she asked me, what do you do for a living? And I said, oh, I'm a pastor. She's like, I'm sorry. So no, it's actually a pretty good job. Uh, she says, I've never met a pastor in my entire life that I liked. My name's Jeremy Brown. <laughs> and she sat down on my bed, and she told me about what it was that she had gone through. And I was able to share with her what Jesus was doing in my life. And instead of choosing to be mad about where I found myself, I treasured it, and I continued to look for God in every moment, in every circumstance. And I prayed with her, and as she left my room, she said, thank you for restoring my faith. It wasn't me that did it. It was God that did it. I just chose not to get mad and to continue to look for the opportunities. When I was recovering from my Whipple surgery, I had one nurse, and she was, I hope she doesn't listen to this, she was the meanest, worst nurse I've ever had in my entire life. And I made it, my mission was like, I'm going to be nice to her. Like, I'm going to have a good conversation with her. And three days later, when I was stoned out of my mind on pain meds, we had a moment. <laughs> I think. She was struggling because she was trying to start a business. She was a single mom, a lot of pressures, and financially just really strapped. She was trying to start this business. I was like, hey, I, I can help you out with this somewhat. I started an organization, and so we had conversations. She just kept coming in, and we talked through organizational things, how to file the different governmental requirements for things. I kept encouraging her, saying, you can do this. I believe in you, all of that kind of stuff. Never knew if it was going to happen. She was pretty mean, honestly. A year later, when I was recovering from my last surgery, had that same nurse again. Completely different woman, about to quit her job because she's now starting her second business because the first one had taken off and blown up so much. Because I chose not to be mad about my situation, but to look for Jesus in it and every opportunity that he gave me. There are people who have made decisions to follow Jesus because they're able to identify with me and what it is that I'm going through. I'm not just going to get us up there, Jesus wants you to be healthy and wealthy and happy, but I'm able to say, I go through struggles, but I still love Jesus, and he's so worthy of our love and our praise and our adoration. He never abandons you. He never forsakes you, even in the midst of the struggle that you're going through. And they've been able to see that and I can relate to them in a way that nobody else has and they're able to put their faith and their trust in Jesus because I'm able to give the testimony of what Jesus will do in your life when you decide to follow after him. And you know what I've discovered? I would never choose to go through the hurt and the pain that I've gone through these last two years. I would never choose to do that on my own will. And Jesus didn't make it happen, but he allowed it to happen. And he's brought so much good out of it. And he's going to continue to bring good out of it. And there will be more people who know Jesus and are encouraged and are able to go after the things that God's called them to because I'm choosing to treasure all of these things up in my heart when I feel betrayed, when I'm comparing myself to others, and when I feel confused. And I'm not going to be mad at God. I'm going to believe that he's good. 
I'm going to believe that he's faithful. I'm going to believe that all of these things that are happening in my life, in all of that, he's never abandoned me, he's never forsaken me, and they don't disqualify me, but God's going to use these to take me to that place he's called me to, and he's going to use it to bless other people. Would you stand up with me this morning as we pray? Let's just close our eyes and let's just take a moment to really ask God to come and to examine our hearts and to speak to us about what it is that we need to do. Father, thank you for making us with the ability to hear your voice. This morning, would you speak to us? God, Am I mad at you? Be so bold as to ask him that. Just real open and real honest about it. Are you mad at Jesus? Ask him, God, why am I mad at you? Would he pinpoint that to you? Would he make it clear why it is that you're mad at him? might be a family thing. It might even be a ministry thing. I don't even want to say anymore because I don't want to limit it. Now, why are you mad at God this morning? And has that anger caused you to become distant from your father? For every hurt in your life, for every disappointment that you have, the enemy knows that the worst thing that can happen to you is for you to become resentful or angry because that's going to drive you away from the God who can heal your heart, the God who can help you walk through that. And so he's going to do everything he can to keep you angry, to introduce separation between you and God and to keep you from his plans and his purposes for your life. It's a strategic attack of the enemy on your destiny and your relationship with God. What I'm asking you to do this morning is to repent. To be real open and honest with God because he knows your heart. He knows how you're feeling. He knows what you're going through. You can't hide that from him. What I want you to do is ask God to forgive you for that. For that anger that you've had towards him. Jesus, would you forgive me? I don't want to be mad at you anymore. God, I don't want to be distant from you anymore. Jesus, I'm tired of comparing myself and what you're doing in my life and in others. God, I'm, I don't want to feel betrayed anymore. God, I don't want to feel confused anymore. Instead, I want you to fill me with your presence, God. God, I want to know how much I'm loved by you. And so, Father, I ask over every heart here this morning, God, that you would just speak to them, that they would know how loved they are, how precious they are in your sight. God, that you've never abandoned them, you've never forsaken them, that you know what they're going through because you came and you identified with us on this earth. You went through every rejection. You went through every hurt and heartache that any person can ever go through. You know what it's like to be us.
and it's why you came. Because your heart broke for the situations we found ourselves in. What I'm asking you to do now is if if that's you and you need God to remove this anger, if you need to know his goodness, if you need him to remove those feelings from your life and to replace them with just feelings of affirmation love, would you be so bold as to just raise your hand, every eye is closed, but just raise your hand and say, that's me, God. I want that in my life. I need that in my life. God sees you. Thank you for those hands. Thank you for those hands. Jesus, You've seen the hands, God. You know the hearts. And Jesus, you're more than able in this situation. So God, would you come in and would you heal? You said that you came to mend the broken heart. So God, for every broken heart this morning, would you come and would you do what it was that you came to do? God, we pray for healing. Jesus, you said that you would wipe every tear. God, would you come? Would you wipe the tears, Jesus? God, would you come and would you fill us so full of an assurance of your love and your acceptance in our life that it just drowns out every other voice. That it, God, that we would see how blessed we are by you, that it would drown out every comparison, God. God, that you would come and that we would know how loved we are by you, that we would never feel betrayed again. And Jesus, would you come and convict us of how wise you are, how great your plans and purposes are, how much higher you are than we are. God, that we would be able to fully trust you in all of the confusion that we find ourselves in in life. And Jesus, we pray that no hurt and no pain would be wasted inside of us, but that, God, you would use it all for your good. God, that you would use it to shape our character and to lead us into the things that you've called us to, Jesus. God, that you would use it to bless those who are walking through those hurts, just like we've done. God, that we would be able to be the voice that says, I've been where you've been, and God came alongside of me, and he has sustained me. He lifted me up. He walked me through it, and where I thought I was broken and would never recover, he came, and he made me whole. And that's what Jesus is going to do in your life through this situation. Jesus, we release all of our anger. God, we release all of our fear, and we receive nothing but your love, your strength, and your voice in our lives this morning. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. God is setting you free. He's healing your heart. This is a new start for you. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to call my prayer partners forward. And they're going to be right up here in this front section. And, uh, and even if you're not scheduled today, just come forward. Because I think we need to do a lot of praying with some people to help encourage them and help them walk through this. And so we're going to be up here and we'll stay as long as we need to stay. And uh, we'll be able to come up here in just a minute. But also, um, before that couple announcements, if there's anything... Um, I'm all lost. I'm sorry. We have communications cards. If you're new here today, thank you so much for being our guest. We're so glad that you were here in the front seat, in the seat in front of you. There's a little communication card. We'd love to have you fill it out just to let us know that you were here, and I'll shoot you an email this week just welcoming you to Radiant Church. And then also, uh, we have our Next Steps Belong class the first week of May, and that's just right after church. If you want to know more about our vision, our values, and what we're about as Radiant Church, that's a great time to be able to figure that out and to learn about us. Just 30 minutes, chance to talk to me and see what we're all about as a church. Um, so the prayer partners will be here. If you don't need prayer, go out, drink some coffee, make some friends, uh, enjoy having the building where we can talk to people, not tear down. But we'll just be up here in the front. If you need prayer, you can come forward and we'll be here. Thank you so much for being here today. We'll see you next week. God bless.